Dear witches, thank you for joining us on our Modern Witches YouTube channel. This portal is a space for musings on the diverse pathways of witchcraft, intuitive ramblings, and much more that is bubbling away in our cauldron of modern magic. We hope you enjoy these magical meditations and please share your questions and comments with us. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to get more intimate with Modern Witches, be sure to check out our membership the coven. Learn more at modernwitches.org. We hope to see you soon. Welcome everyone. We're here today with Jeff, Jeff Hinshaw of Cosmic Cousins. I'm so excited to be here and to talk more about the upcoming astrology and Jeff's experience of magic in the world. I am your host today, Casey Zavala, the creatrix of Modern Witches and Wanderers Tarot. And I'm just very excited to be adding Jeff's experiences and inspiration to our cauldron of magic. So thank you for being here. Mm, cauldron of magic, I love that. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. It feels yeah. powerful to be gathering with you today for a couple reasons, and we can get into those today, I'm sure. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I've got some candles lit here. I think that, you know, the space that you hold, it invites me to get a bit more ritualistic, which I'm usually pretty ritualistic with my work, but something about meeting with you, it feels like a gathering more so than like a meeting or, you know. So yeah, I've got candles lit here. I've got some tarot cards out. I have some sacred objects. I've kind of built a little altar here. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here and it's a Scorpio moon today, which that's one of the reasons why it feels powerful to be gathering with you. And I kind of associate modern witches with Scorpio energy. You know, last time that I met with you, I think it was around the Scorpio new moon in 2021 for the modern witches confluence. Uh, so I think so. I just, I just always line up my connection with, with you all with, with Scorpio. So yeah. I love that. You know, I think that, you know, Scorpio invites in the mystery, which we're all about here. Mm -hmm. And I've been burning my uh, spider woman incense for us today. So um, we're weaving webs together and even in the digital space. Yes. Yes. I just used a transformation spray to clear it out my space before gathering. And I have the death card out here uh, because I lead a six month journey through the major arcana every year, which is a ritual immersion and every Monday is when we switch to the next card. We go in order from the fool to the world. And so this morning, Monday marked the switch from the hanged one into death. And so just gathering with you as I'm switching to the death card, the moon's in Scorpio, I'm feeling the presence of these archetypes in my life strongly. So it's it's kind of lined up really cool for me to gather. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. I actually pulled I pulled the death card on the Libra full moon and I pulled the hanged one on Sunday. So yeah, dancing with the archetypes, dancing with the archetypes. I'm very much in a hanged one moment because I have a shoulder injury and a rotator cuff injury. I'm so sorry. So I'm just kind of hanging out, <laughs> letting this heal and pass. And we all might be feeling it in, in certain ways. The hanged one is connected to Neptune astrologically and right now Jupiter and Neptune are hanging out in the sky so there's you know Jupiter will amplify the presence of another planet and so Neptune vibes hanged one vibes for all of us right now so yeah very much so 
you know, you weave so much magic together, so many kind of tools and systems. I would love to hear maybe a little bit about, you know, what tools are really alive for you right now, what you're practicing. Yeah. So always astrology and tarot, they're, they're a daily practice for me, but I have been uh, feeling the call more towards connecting with the earth. And so altar building is a big practice for me right now. Even right now, as we're talking, I have a stone in my hand and I'm just kind of, you know, easing myself by taking my thumb and rubbing it over it. So that's what's going on underneath the surface. <laughs> but I have this stone here, which is a sacred spiral here. Oh, beautiful. And, um, the earth is here to aid us and to kind of ground into our psychic receptivity. And so I've been doing a lot of restorative yoga in tandem with my tarot and astrology practice, connecting to the earth. You know, I haven't been walking barefoot, but I, I'm in this moment, I'm being reminded to do that. Um, just these sort of, you know, very practical daily things that we can be doing as there's so much psychic receptivity that's swelling at this time with this Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's so much to tap into. It feels very, the Jupiter part feels very immense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, when did you kind of start forging a relationship with magic in your life? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, it's important to kind of understand my upbringing and also, you know, the certain unique karmic experiences I had, even just being born here. Um, the first few years of my life, uh, the doctors and my parents thought that I could not hear. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I had a major surgery at the age of two um, where I had tubes put in my ears. And so um, from the beginning, it was this experience of kind of being between worlds. And I, I believe that that time period really um, was a time where my intuitive gifts were heightened uh, just because I came into the world and was already tapping into you know my third eye center because I couldn't hear um, mm -hmm. so luckily I was born in the 80s and so there was new technology that allowed me to uh, have a procedure so that I could hear and I haven't really stopped talking <laughs> and communicating since then uh, but yeah from a young age like I had a memory resurface this morning and this is something that I've been feeling right now with the influence of Pisces so strong is that a lot of memories from the past are resurfacing. And so this morning when I was taking a shower and preparing to gather with you, I had a memory come up that, cause you know, I had listened to some previous podcast episodes. I listened to your conversation with Edgar and I saw that I heard that you asked Edgar the same question. So I was like, Casey's probably going to ask him this question. <laughs> so as I was taking a shower, you know, connecting to the water element, I was just sort of like, I would like a memory to resurface that was kind of like the beginning of my journey and the memory that came to me was really surprising but it was when i was about six or seven years old and my brother my older brother uh guinea pig passed away and he was so connected to this little animal and that, that animal had been on such a journey with with sickness like it, my brother like fed it with a bottle because it had certain problems going on with its digestion. You know, we spent a lot of time and energy and my parents probably spent a lot of money trying to get this skinny pig to, to survive, you know? Um, but 
I was really like calm about the whole thing. And I remember my brother just being in tears and kind of wailing and crying. And I just knew intuitively what to do in that moment. And so I remember placing my hands on my brother's shoulders and asking him to close his eyes and to breathe and to connect to the spirit of Mo, which was the guinea pig's name. And then I called all the kids of the neighborhoods to gather and we had a little funeral service and I had everyone share a memory. And then we buried Mo. I remember placing my hands on the earth and we like sang a song or something. So from a young age, I've always just been really tapped into the spirit realm. And so I don't know if that was from my experience of not being able to hear in the first few years of my life, but I somehow do connect it to that. And so mm. I'm being reminded too, you know, with this eclipse axis so strong in Taurus and Scorpio, I'm coming back more to the earthy roots of my magic and of my witchiness. And, you know, cause I'm an Aquarius. So Aquarius squares Taurus and Scorpio. So I get really cosmic and out there with the astrology, but this axis of Taurus and Scorpio is reminding me to come back to these more, you know, ancestral roots to come back to my connection to spirit and those who are passing away. So yeah, I, I do think my journey began just from a very intuitive place of realizing that this plane that we're on isn't it, that when we pass away, there's spirit and we can connect to the spirit world. And we can also honor that grief too. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's just a memory I had resurfaced, you know, I don't know if that's the origin or not, but it's like kind of all swirly. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's so beautiful too, because I think when we're children, our intuition exists in sort of like an unhampered way hopefully, until it's sort of conditioned out of us in these various ways um, by society. Um, And I think those memories are so important. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of Pisces too. And when we think about this Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces is that it connects you to your essence that was there when you were a child. You know, there's a lot of inner child healing that takes place in Pisces, and it's that essence that we're being reminded of, Um, and it's that essence that will be with you when you're an elder. It's that essence that was with you before you incarnated here on this plane of existence, and so we're reconnecting to that right now, and, you know, I, I did have it kind of conditioned out of me. I wouldn't even say kind of, like, it was definitely, like, even like beat out of me, you know, like there's just sort of like these traumatic experiences that, you know, maybe our parents think that they're doing the best thing that they can do in that moment to um, protect you from a world that is very, you know, not celebratory of these more psychic spiritual gifts, especially like just depending on, you know, what kind of body you incarnated into. And so for me being born as a boy, I was not meant to be so emotional and so receptive to these qualities. And so I loved playing with dolls when I was a kid. I loved putting wigs on and dresses and that was conditioned out of me from a very early age. Um, And so luckily I've been able to gather with others, you know, throughout, I think definitely during my time in Brooklyn was a very exploratory time where I was gathering with fairies and witches and, you know, queer people. So um, yeah, so these things can get conditioned out of us and Mm -hmm. 
So I'm so appreciative of the space that you hold because you're you're creating a container for people to reconnect to these parts of themselves, and we need that in community, that support. So, thank you. Yeah, I feel like the reclaiming of our magic is is just such an ongoing process. At least it feels like that for me. You know, the more I do my own work and explore different areas of my lineage and magic that's calling to me it's like a remembrance feeling yeah and it is kind of a spiral like I for a while I was going by a different name than I'm going by now and I started going by my birth name Jeff Henshaw again for like professional reasons, right? Societal conditionings. And now I feel myself wanting to spiral back. And I'm like, actually, this name doesn't, it served me and allowed me to get signed by a publishing agency and put a book out into the world. But like, is this, does this really represent me? And so it's always, I don't know if confronting is the right word, but it is a little confronting when going on a podcast or something, because, you know, you sent me this beautiful questionnaire to fill out where I have to put my name and my bio mm -hmm. and like these professional things where I'm like, I don't know, it's, it's always changing. What is my name? What is my bio? And I'm very much in a transitional period. And so I've been kind of stepping back from social media, you know, podcasting, I'm slowly stepping back from, and I just feel myself wanting to give myself some space to, to explore what wants to come forward, what new life wants to come forward. And so um, yeah, I have a Scorpio midheaven, so the South node is, is coming and clearing out my public right. appearance. Yeah. So, um, I think that my name is changing mm -hmm. and, um, I'll just share with you. So yeah. Jeff is still the first name, uh, but Norman is my grandfather's name mm -hmm. and I feel his presence strongly with me mm -hmm. and Fox is my uh, grandmother's maiden name and so Jeff Norman Fox is a name that I went by for a while uh, for years when I lived in Brooklyn that was my name and then I when I left New York I, I switched it but that name to me really connects me to holding space for people when they're grieving um, so going along that memory that resurfaced when I when I lived in New York I had a offering where I helped uh, create containers for people when they, their pets passed away Mm. and it was called city wolf i'm feeling more drawn to the, these more ritualistic spaces yeah. at the time um, and i don't know how that is gonna come forward because i also stopped doing that because it, it wasn't practical anymore i wasn't being compensated and mm -hmm. able to, to live off of that offering so yeah, I just shared a lot. <laughs> I love it. I mean, normalize being in this transitionary phase, I think, because this whole idea of like having the persona and the polished, uh, you know, platform from which you teach and all these things, it's, it's nice. And it's what people want in a lot of ways, but it's not always realistic, yeah. very rarely realistic. Um, yeah. I'm very much resonating with everything you're saying as, as someone with an Aquarius moon yeah. and Taurus rising, like all these changes are happening and it's important to be flexible. Yeah. yeah. I actually was going to ask you if your name, if you, before this interview, I was like, I wonder if I should ask Jeff if 
if he wants to go by Jeff Henshaw. <laughs> yeah, there's something in my last name, Henshaw, that every time I see it, like it's it's my last name, but I also, it never feels fully right. Yeah. And I think recently I was just interviewed for a magazine where they were, the topic was about what's going on in the tarot and astrology community with um, people um, not hacking accounts, but impersonating accounts. Yeah. So I was being asked about that. And my last name was used. They were like, Henshaw says. And I, every time it was not even my first name, I was like, this feels like I'm back in high school. My soccer coach is like, hey, Henshaw, over here. You know, it just, it feels like an old version of me. Yeah. That it's just not, it's not the vibration that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wanting. So I don't know. But yeah, maybe, maybe. I'll send you what new name to put forward. Yeah. So I don't know, but we'll see. It's also cool to be in that kind of liminal space too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think talking about it, you know, even though it feels vulnerable, I feel safe to talk about it in company with you and your listeners. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. Yeah. You know, which is I, when I was younger, I, and like exploring witchcraft, I was always really, obsessed with this idea of a magical name mm -hmm. you know you have your kind of out in the world's name and you have your magical name that's like for ritual and ceremony and I think about that a lot yeah do you yeah. have a magical name that you go by and you know sometimes it's nice to keep those to yourself too so yeah I have an internal private magical name cool yeah I love that sometimes I think oh maybe this should be my real name but it hasn't felt ready yet. Yeah. Yeah. It is your real name, but it's you. It's like for you. It's still right. Cool. Yeah. The internal name. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious um, to talk a little bit about tarot and, and your relationship with that practice. You know, when did, when did tarot come into your life? Yeah. Um, around the age of 15, I was, um, I was dating someone who, to me, I think this is just an interesting little detail because it connects us to an astrology archetype, but I was dating someone who was an identical twin. So mm. there was some Gemini energy going on there. Um, and their mother was a tarot reader. And they just, the twins just intuitively knew, they're like, you have to talk to our mother. And they they just sensed it somehow. They're like, you're going to be really into this. And so they introduced me to it. And um, from the moment that I got a tarot reading, I was, yeah, I was around the age of 15. It just, it spoke to me. And so I, I went to this, I lived in Richmond, Virginia at the time. That's where I grew up. And I went to this shop. I think it's called One Eye Jacks. And it's like a board game and like card and comic shop in downtown Richmond. Um, in Carytown and they're still there. So every time I go back to Richmond, I visit this shop and just some sort of like, thank you. Like mm -hmm. this is where it all began. And so, yeah, I bought, I bought a tarot deck there and I just kind of, you know, I wasn't aggressive about it. It wasn't like I like went to the library and got every book I could get and read them all. It was very slow unfolding. And so it was like, I bought the deck, I maybe did a reading and then I put it away for a little bit. And then, you know, if I was at a bookstore and I saw a tarot book that called me, I'd pick that one up and take my time with it. And so it was a very slow process. 
I never felt like I needed to hide it from my family, even though my family doesn't necessarily like this practice, you know, um, but it was just something I felt like a really like deep kinship with and it allowed like I think the visual component of tarot always spoke to me too where you could look at an image and kind of just go into the image and so that's a big part of my practice is like this week is the whole week of my life that I'm dedicating to the death card and so I spend time with it and you know I have it out here on my desk or on my altar throughout the week and maybe I'll pull the death card out from my many different tarot decks that I have and I love seeing the different interpretations of this archetype. And I think that that's, as I've grown in this practice, that's something that continue, continues to draw me to this practice is that they are archetypes and that everyone has a different experience of that archetype. And so we can learn from each other and it offers us a vocabulary and a container for communicating about our lives in a way that we can all connect and relate so the death card, you know, to some of us might be very personal and represent like the death of a loved one. Uh, to someone else, it could be a time period that was very internal. Uh, for someone else, it could be a time of, you know, right now I'm thinking in tandem because I, I pull an animal card every year for my on my birthday. And this year is the earthworm for me. Mm, cool. And I'm in my death year. And so I'm meditating on the earthworm in tandem with death. And it's really, you know, it's cool to think of the earthworm with this card because it actually connects you to the fertility of the soil and, you know, planting new roots and these sort of things. So right now my experience of death is moving slower, being in a wet climate, which I am in the Pacific Northwest and maybe not traveling as much, you know, the death card doesn't feel like travel to me. Um, it does feel like even if we're talking about tending to the soil, it feels like me really working with my digestion and making sure that the soil that I'm creating is fertile and, you know, full of life. So these are just some things I'm thinking about, but this experience of death is so different than the last time I had a death year, which was in 2013. And it was much more about the transformation of my sexuality. It was much more outward and expressive. It's when I started wearing lots of black colors and, you know, just like kind of witchy jewelry. So it was a powerful time in my life then, but also I believe there were some prominent planet, like I think Saturn was in Scorpio at that time. Mm -hmm on my midheaven and so it was a time where I was being seen but now the south nodes in Scorpio so I, I start to weave in astrology with the archetypes and they just kind of all like as you were saying a magical cauldron I feel like I'm just taking all of my different like tools and all the elements and putting them in and swirling them together but yeah so I spend long periods of time with the cards and so I think that's you know when I originally got the tarot I loved it because it offered me an image that I could dive into and be with and meditation and that's kind of always been my practice with with the tarot even from when i started it was just sort of like oh the sun card's calling to me i'm gonna meditate on this for a month and mm -hmm. i think i like taking my time with these energies yeah yeah that's such a a good way to get to know the archetypes too i remember when i was like a teenager i put the the major arcana like above my bed like cool. tacked all the cards above my bed so I could just like sleep under them. Yeah. Um, not really. Use? And do you still oh. use that one? 
Um, yeah, that was my first writer weight deck. Okay. Yeah. But I was first started with the Aquarian Tarot. That was the first deck that was given to me. I love that one. Yeah. I've it's never beautiful. had that one myself, but I, I, I think it's cool. How about you? What deck do you use? Um, well, right now I have the Rider Waite Smith out in front of me, the Centennial version, which I like the backing. Mm -hmm. Just kind of mute, like it looks older. Um, but I like playing with all of them. I'm, I enjoy the Fifth Spirit Tarot a lot, and the Death card in that deck is much more ancestral. Mm -hmm. cool. um, it shows someone breastfeeding, but then there's like a grandmother or elder figure behind them and like spirits all around them. Uh, so again, I like seeing the different interpretations of, of the archetypes. And it's so cool to live in a time where there's just so many tarot decks and we I all know. Have, we can all create our own if we want. And I just think that's really beautiful. And it goes back to that point of, we all have our own relationship to the archetypes and we learn more about it by sharing and listening to each other's interpretation and, and really knowing that no one has a hierarchy on this. It's mm -hmm. like, there's no right or wrong answer to it. And so I think, you know, trusting your intuition is like a big part of the tarot and it gives us a format for trusting our intuition. Yeah. Definitely. I have to ask you, how are you feeling about this lover's year so far? Yeah. And the themes you're seeing woven yeah. through the collective. What's interesting for me is for, for whatever reasons, the way that it lines up for my year card is that I always have my personal year in the same triad family as the collective year. Mm. And so the triad is the lovers, death, and judgment. So that's if you line up the cards seven on each row, on each row. Yeah. And so then there's seven cards on each row. So then seven columns are created. And so that's the triad family that I'm referring to is that column of the lovers, death and judgment. So, and it's like that for me every year, like last year was a higher font cool. year and I was in the hanged one and they're part of the same triad. So I am reflecting on the relationship that lovers and death have with each other. Um, it does make me think of, you know, like if you're in an actual relationship where we're looking at lovers as a relationship, that there's a death that takes place, whether it's a death to your own ego because you're fully letting go and surrendering to the relationship, or if you're going through a breakup, it's an actual death as well. Um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. And then I think of judgment is part of that triad too, which is also a sort of rebirth moment too. And we see the lovers depicted on the judgment card often, but they now have had a baby. Mm -hmm. And this is Pluto's card in the tarot. And, you know, this year marks the United States Pluto return. So it's like a, a collective transformation and awakening that's taking place. And we've been in that. It's a, kind of like a, almost like a 10 year time period that we're in. Um, so those are some things I'm reflecting on, on the macro. Yeah. Well, yeah. And thank I, you for sharing that. Gemini season. I always feel this whatever astrological season is connected to that card. So Gemini season coming up, I feel like is a time where the lover's year will really be activated and awakened in our life. And we'll start to, especially on the Gemini new moon, we'll have an opportunity to be like, oh, what is this lover's year about for me? I haven't really been thinking about the lover's year too much, to be honest. There's just been so much other things going on. And I think that come Gemini season will be an opportunity for me to really sit with how 
I'm sensing into the invitations of a lover's year. Totally. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. It's been a very busy time. Yeah. Just of collectively, I don't know, full. Yeah. The, the Gemini esoteric phrase I think is really cool. It's one of my favorite ones to meditate on in tandem with the card. So when I say esoteric phrases, this is coming from Alice Bailey, who I believe was a Gemini herself, but she's, um, you know, she was born in the 1800s and she's, you know, sort of like, to me, a similar kind of figure of Pamela Coleman Smith, but in the astrology world. And she channeled a phrase for each astrological sign. And so I like to write those phrases out in tandem with the tarot card that's associated with them and just see how they reflect and what they bring out in each other. And so the phrase for Gemini, which you could also look at the lover's card is it goes like this is, um, I see my other self and in the waning of that self, I grow and glow. I see my other self and in the waning of that self, I grow and glow. Um, mm. Yeah, there's, so there. That's beautiful. Is a, a, it's kind of highlighting the lover's card, more of the modern depictions of the lovers gazing in a mirror at each other, as opposed to this kind of old Christian, like Adam and Eve situation that's going on. But I've been very intrigued by how you know, over time it's evolved, you know, from the earliest depiction with like the Marseille and the Visconti, it's more of a choice. It's like someone between two lovers. And then it's evolved to, you know, a man and a woman, the woman's looking up towards an angel and there's a mountain behind them. And now it's evolved to more, being more non-binary and a person looking at themselves in a mirror or, you know, just having the cosmic self coming together with the human self and the hands are pressing up against each other. I'm thinking of um, uh, Chase Voorhees tarot deck, the Holy Spectrum, tarot of the Holy Spectrum, mm -hmm. where the hands are placed and this is Gemini's body part. So it's so cool to look at the evolution of these archetypes over time and how they're reflecting the ways that we are evolving and growing as a collective. And Totally. I find that Alice Bailey's phrases, I think that she was a little bit ahead of her time because they seem to connect us more to the modern depiction of the cards. And so, mm. yeah, so the lover's year is nice to meditate on as this, I see my other self and, and that self is waning. So there is, it's transformational time of, of deep self inquiry, uh, which is maybe not the traditional depiction of the lovers you know right yeah, yeah that's a very alchemical phrase too mm -hmm. seeing like the sun and the moon mm -hmm. kind of depicted in that waning and waxing light um idea yeah I love that yeah yeah mm -hmm. so I'll be curious to check back in later in the year too to see what discoveries we have with the lovers definitely yeah. I appreciate that question though because it's like yeah I thought about it a lot at the beginning of 2022. Yeah, same. And then I've kind of like not been thinking about it as much and which I think is good. Like, I think it's like, you need to be, I'll give space for that process. Like I'm thinking about the lovers every day. It's intense. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Very intense. Yeah. And so much plutonic energy, as you mentioned, going on. Um, so there's been a lot of kind of demanding energies and archetypes this year. Yeah. And it's making me think, so we have 
the Gemini new moon, but the full moon right before that is a Scorpio full moon. And so we've got the death card and then the lover's card kind of back to back with those two lunations. So we are kind of building momentum up to this triad family um, of death and the lovers and judgment because Pluto is also stationing retrograde at this time too. Mm -hmm. So I, we're coming into that time of the year. Yeah. yeah the crucible. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about the astrology? Yeah, I would love to. I have the charts here. Yeah. Um, and I can pull those up. <clears throat> yeah, because we're entering this eclipse season. We are entering into the portal of the eclipse season. And so the first lunation that we have here is the Taurus new moon. And this is the partial solar eclipse. And it's on April 30th. And this is for Pacific time. I'm in Portland, Oregon, so it's for 1.28 p.m. Pacific time. So you could change for where you live. And then the chart that we have here, this is um, Aries set at the first house. Uh, so this, this chart will actually work for where, wherever in the world you are. Um, and it puts all the Aries energy in the first house, all the Taurus in the second. So it correlates to the houses so it's not it's a nice and clean way of looking at a lunation nice yeah so what we'll see is the Taurus sun and moon at the 10th degree of Taurus and there's a lot taking place in Taurus here what's the glyph next to um Uran Uranus yeah. this represents the midheaven oh okay so nice. it's a circle with a vertical line so what's this would be unique to Portland. Mm -hmm. And what we'll see is that it's around noon. You know, it's like 128. So the midheaven is what's at the top of the chart. And so if the lunation is taking place around noon, which is the midheaven, you can think when the sun is at noon, it's right up in the sky. Um, so in Portland or on the West Coast, all of this Taurus energy will be at the top of the chart. And so it's, yes. it's quite visible. Um, yeah, and then this glyph, people might not be as familiar with. It looks like Venus's glyph, but instead of a circle, it's a diamond. And that's Pallas Athene, who is, you know, the is a warrior feminine archetype. It is feminine wisdom is how, you know, it's traditionally communicated. The way I look at Pallas is, is the understanding of cycles, the intellectual understanding of cycles, very queen of swords, mm -hmm. has a pattern recognition. So it brings in the queen quality of being intuitive and the sword quality of, of piercing. So I often say Pallas pierces through the veil of illusion. And so it's interesting that Pallas enters Taurus right as this eclipse is taking place. Yeah. Um, and we see the North Node in Taurus, which is the eclipse axis. And so we're being invited to evolve through Taurus this time and to learn more about our connection to our Earth, more about our connection to Earth. And this could be, you know, working hard. This could be um, learning more about your values, what your relationship is to your intuition in regards to the five senses. And so this is something I love thinking about with Taurus, but one of its sacred centers is the third eye. And so you can think of the bull is often depicted with the third eye illuminated and it's the bull's eye. And so Taurus is a very intuitive astrological energy 
but it comes through in very practical ways. And so when we were talking before about me having a stone in my hand, this is, this is something we can do to work with Taurus. And so this Taurus new moon is definitely a time to take all this psychic receptivity that we feel in Pisces, which again, Taurus is ruled by Venus, and Venus is in Pisces at the same degree as Jupiter in Pisces on this new moon. So it is actually a, a vast, wide, contemplative, spiritual new moon solar eclipse. And so it, it's like all of the swirling um, memories are now coming into physical form with Taurus. And so it's like honoring the inner child. If we're looking at Pisces as the inner child through whatever it is that you're purchasing <laughs> or whatever it is that you're planting, uh, and this is the eclipses mark an 18 month time period. So this is just part of the theme of the entire year is found in this Taurus new moon chart. And so this Pisces influence is, is communicating to us that we're at a vast wide end of a cycle. And, you know, Jupiter stays in a sign for about 13 years. And so you can think to you know, back to around like 2010 time period, we're closing out that cycle mm -hmm. and we're now being more embodied in our truth um, with Taurus. So it's a lot, it's still a lot of Pisces energy floating around. And so it doesn't necessarily feel like a time to set forward in a new direction unless it is in alignment with your spiritual values, um, Venus and Pisces. So I'm curious what this brings up for you. We can check in with more of it too. There's more things going on in this chart, but um, so much Pisces unknown at this time. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm just thinking about the cycle that's been going on between Saturn and Uranus this year too, and just how much tension there's been about, you know, whether or not we're doing the right thing or the structures that we're upholding are the right structures or, um, yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I get the sense that maybe it's like the dark before the dawn. Hmm. At least that's what I hope. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, all this energy will eventually move into Aries, which is when is the dawn, you know, it's the sunrise. Right. So we are really, collectively throughout the rest of April, still in this invitation of rest, mm -hmm. of recovery. You know, the hanged one is Neptune and it's one of Pisces cards. The moon card is another Pisces card. And so it's, it's definitely a time of surrender, of release, of, of, allowing yourself to kind of be washed and mm -hmm. cleansed. So spending time with water, if, if you're able to. And I was talking with Casey before we got on the recording, it's just been raining in Portland more than it has like previous springs. And sometimes it can be matched in our weather. Obviously it's not gonna be like that for everyone, but if you're in a place that's really sunny, maybe there just feels like there's like kind of like this mystical fog taking place. And so Pisces is so sensitive to other energies and it does feel like this is a time period to really, if you're, if you're going through some sort of transformational process, 
to be sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who are supportive of that process because we're picking up a lot. And so Pisces is can also be connected to things like media. It's connected to film and photography. So it's like um, being very mindful of you know the media that you're consuming too because we're ta we're taking on things like sponges at this time. And so it is a really powerful time for someone to be learning Jupiter and Pisces about their psychic and spiritual gifts. That's a great use of this. And Venus is saying, yes, invest your money in the spiritual. And because again, the Taurus new moon is ruled by Venus. Yeah, it's definitely a good time for seeking guidance. And, and also, I don't know, I see this kind of, I'm reminded of a quote that my teacher often tells me, which is the best form of protection is inspiration. Mm. So it's like, how can you engage with that intuitive mystical energy while sort of building up like a beautiful shield or protective cocoon for yourself to do that work? I love that. And inspiration is definitely a Jupiterian word. Yeah. You know, when I think of protection, I actually do think of the Taurus and Scorpio polarity. So I'm curious for us to look at the Scorpio full moon too, to see what yeah. shifts are taking place. Um, but maybe just a final few words about this chart while we're here is that black moon Lilith just entered cancer. So there's more water taking place and Lilith is the queer witch in our chart is what I often like to refer to Lilith. And I think, Lilith would be very important to the, the modern witches community for sure. And so cancer is going inward, it's home, it's also rest and recovery. It's connecting to our soul family, our, you know, have inviting witches over to your home. You know, there's definitely that quality. Uh, could bring up grief around mother, motherhood, our actual birth family. A lot of ancestral healing is swelling. And so when we're talking about, you know, holding space for someone when their guinea pig passes away, it's like a memory that's resurfaced, that's very emotional, that connects me to my inner child. And so just being really open to memories from the past that are here to connect you to your essence and bring deeper healing to the parts of yourself that, you know, you might be grieving in your transformation. But mm -hmm. it's, it gets pretty watery. Um, it's a pretty watery new moon. So luckily Taurus is the earth that's there to ground it and to embody it. Um, yeah, and then gathering in community could feel like there's obstacles, Saturn's there, um, but committing to our devotional practices, Saturn and Vesta conjunct feels important. And whether that's devotional practices through the internet or through community, or if it's in a personal practice, it's, I'm seeing this as committing to my astrology practice as a daily devotion because Aquarius is connected to astrology. Mm -hmm. So those are some major things that I see here. Beautiful. Yeah. And then we have the Scorpio full moon, total lunar eclipse. And we can see a total lunar eclipse because the moon and the south node are within three degrees of each other. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a big one. Um, and the south node is this karmic pool of energy that kind of we can call upon our past experiences. And so look to around 22 to 25 degrees of Scorpio in your chart and see 
how you have grown here, you know, th there's just, there's kind of a pool in the South Node, and that pool is also, it's not just things that we're releasing, although we are releasing things around this point. It's also this opportunity to call upon your past experiences and what you've learned from them to aid you as you evolve more towards Taurus at this time. But what's particular here is, wow, Jupiter's moved on into Aries for this full moon. Venus has moved on into Aries. But what's fascinating is traditionally Scorpio's ruled by Mars. And now Mars is hanging out with Neptune and Pisces. Oh, wow. Yeah, so both lunations, the Taurus new moon, Venus is hanging out with Neptune. And then the Scorpio full moon, Mars is hanging out with Neptune. So there's still that Neptunian quality, but there almost feels, this feels like cord cutting. Mm. Like Mars comes in and severs things. So it's like almost like a spiritual cord cutting where you're released uh, from karmic past. And the South Node even denotes that too. And so it could be maybe not abrupt, but it could be abrupt endings to things that it's like the swelling of like, oh, I've been kind of in this cosmic soup. I've been thinking about doing this thing. And it's like, well, release the things that aren't supporting you anymore and go for it. Jupiter's now in Aries. So there is a major shift that takes place with this full moon. And it could feel, you know, Mars can feel aggressive sometimes, but it is all the soul-centered attributes of Mars is, is being really rooted and grounded in your truth and going for uh, whatever it is that is of service to greater love, Neptune. So this spiritual warrior that I see with Mars and Neptune and Pisces. So yeah, it's a shift. Are you, wow. How are you sensing this when you look at this? Well, I just have a very funny sort of synchronicity with this chart because May 15th is when I'm graduating from my graduate school program. So it all fits. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we'll see, but it's just funny because I, you know, I go to a school where astrology is taught. So I'm like, the astrologer picked this uh -huh. uh, on duty, picked this aspect uh -huh. for graduation day because it just, it makes such sense that that would be like a final even just the full moon aspect of right. of it makes sense so much um yeah. so I just find that funny but yeah. I mean I I'm so excited about the shift in energy because I feel like it's it's more it's less about the being in repose and being in the uncertainty and maybe actually sort of taking your wisdom and running with it yeah yeah taking your wisdom I often think Jupiter is that wisdom that's accumulated. And so now that it's, it's at the zero degree of Aries, it just enters Aries a few days before this full moon. And, um, but the moon is trying Mars and Neptune and Pisces. So they're, that trine is very supportive of each other. Yeah. And then Venus has moved on and it's conjunct Chiron, um, which, you know, it just feels like there's a shift into being new beginnings at this full moon. Um, and it could be quite a mo like there could be a big emotional release. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moon Mars too. There's just such a with with Neptune there, such a deep kind of drive to express emotions and like really, like you said, that cathartic release. 
I feel like it's such an excellent time for doing some kind of like ritualistic catharsis of some kind. Yeah, that's, I mean, catharsis and cathartic. That, that's, that's such a good word for that, this full moon that's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And so usually for like eclipses, it's not necessarily a time where we are setting intentions for manifestation, but it's normally about releasing things and even just spending time with the elements, you know? And so I might like during that time period, I'm, I'm just very gentle with ritual and it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's more of a reflective time. And, um, you know, I, I do know that at this full moon, I will be um, presenting at an esoteric astrology conference. So, yeah, and the focus for that conference is three planets. It's Mars, Neptune, and Jupiter are the focuses for that conference. Cool. Yeah, so that's exciting. It's the first time I'm speaking for this organization. And so that's kind of how I'm sensing it in my own life. And so my midheaven Scorpio at the 25th degree. Okay. Right where the moon is. So, yeah. Um, Channeling yeah. that. Yeah, it just kind of happened suddenly. I got an invitation this week too. And that's something also with eclipses is like, if you have no idea what this time about eclipses can also be where sudden new opportunities come in or, you know, there could be upgrades that you feel within yourself, even if it's not happening in the physical world around you. Right. Um, yeah. And then yeah. the Gemini new moon follows, which will take us more into the lover's energy. Nice. Yeah. Which we and do have. Mercury and Gemini retrograde on this full moon too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it feels like rediscovering the lovers is starting to happen around that mm -hmm. time. Yeah. A lover's review. Well, yeah, definitely. I was, I was curious if you could say a little bit about someone who maybe has fear around eclipses. Yeah. Um, I think that feels quite appropriate with all the Pisces energy too. Like fear can really be brewing with these lunations particularly. And I would say gently go towards Taurus if you're feeling fear. Spending time in nature, spending time with your favorite tree, um, eating food that grounds you and nourishes you. These like very practical mothering empress-like qualities. And so, I mean, honestly, like on this Scorpio full moon is we're not being invited to meditate on Scorpio as much as we are still on Taurus. It's still the North Node in Taurus. We're being gently guided in that way. Right. And so I would say put the empress card out as an anchor. Yeah. Love that. Thank you. It's a nice reminder. I. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought about that before. So I'm definitely gonna put the Empress card out to kind of help usher For us. sure. Yeah. That's a good idea. I'm gonna do the same. <laughs> yeah. And we're doing healing. You know, we can look to Venus, the Empress there. We're doing healing um, around our relationship to all Venusian themes, whether it's healing in relationships, healing with your relationship to money, to your work, your offerings, and what it means as an individual. So there, you know, with that, I'm, this could definitely be like a time where people are like, you know what, our relationship's not working. It's a lover's year. There's some sort of release that's happening. And then we're healing our individuality, Aries, around mm -hmm. our sense of love 
love for ourselves, healing our identity as an as a Venus figure. So it could definitely be a time where it's like our spiritual values aren't lining up and I need to do my own thing. And maybe this isn't the end to us forever, but we need to end something so that something new can come forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah, especially with that Mars-Neptune influence, I feel like there's that impulse to just kind of dissolve into each other, but maybe having more of a, a stake in your own process could be a good thing right now. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, if you, if you need space from someone or something, giving yourself that space, you know, maybe go on a trip with yourself for the weekend without your lover or whatever Venus is representing in relationship for you. Yeah. Very cool. I feel like the, I don't know, it does feel like we're coming up to a huge shift in energy. Like the second half of the year feels like a whole other year to me. Yeah. Which is a whole nother cycle. And I think with Aries, which I think is important to remember, is the zero degree of Aries, we will feel a shift, but also Aries doesn't always feel like just like hitting the light switch on. It feels like a dimmer switch to me sometimes where it's like slowly turning on. I have always, like even at the beginning of Aries season at the spring equinox, I feel it's a waking up from the slumber of Pisces. And that if we do go head first into things, that that's when we get into trouble. So just like easing your way, just in the same way we watch the sunrise, the hues of the sky change gradually. And so just being gentle, I think of the zero degree of Aries is like a baby sheep that's mm -hmm. being born. And maybe it's crying a little bit, but then we need to nurture it and cradle it. And so Jupiter will eventually enter into the higher degrees of Aries and that might feel you know, us coming more into the Knight of Wands and then eventually into the Emperor, which is Aries card too. Right. And as a reminder to kind of look forward into the year, Jupiter, I believe gets to, I'll look at the degree now, but Jupiter only makes it to like the sixth or seventh degree of Aries and then will retrograde back into Pisces at the end of the year. Okay. So this Jupiter gets back to the 28th degree of Pisces this year. So we will kind of revisit the things that we're closing. And then as we enter 2023, Jupiter's in Aries for good. And that feels like the marker of the new beginnings. Mm -hmm. So you could almost think of the sun rising. And then it's like, oh, wait a second. I'm going to go back down for a second and set and then rise again. So we get a taste of new beginnings. And then it's fully a new beginning at the start of next year as we enter our chariot year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that chariot year. Yeah, me too. What's your, is that your life path? Um, no, mine is actually lovers. Ooh. Life path and um, soul, soul card. So they're both lovers. Cool. I so think I'm, like, yeah. even just like having a conversation like this feels very lovers. Like you mm -hmm. interviewing other people and having conversations around this feels lovers to me. Yeah, I've definitely like resisted my loversness mm -hmm. for a long time because you know I was like, oh, yeah, I priestess or something more witchy, I don't know. Yeah. But I do think that the lovers, it offers some kind of sense of like commitment, mm -hmm. um, devotional aspects of like, okay, this is what I'm committing myself to. 
these are the commits I made and I need to revisit or that kind of thing. Well, you're actually speaking to something that's going on in both of these lunations and it's Saturn's commitment and Vesta is devotion. So it's commitment to our devotions and particularly around these degrees of Aquarius, 24 to 27 degrees of Aquarius. Um, so again, I'm using this because my son's at the 25th degree of Aquarius. So I'm seeing Saturn by my son as me having an injury right now, being asked to slow down. But I'm also becoming more committed to my devotional practices, which is like restorative yoga for me, lighting the candle in the morning and being in the, having my legs up the wall for 15 minutes you know that's kind of how i'm sensing it but there is commitment into our devotional practices and that could very well be um in your relationships you know in your mm -hmm. ambitions towards your spiritual practices um, but yeah it's interesting that you are connecting that to lovers um that commitment to devotion too and aquarius is an air sign like gemini so there's you know, there's resonance right. with the signs and the lovers. Yeah. I think that I like in my natal chart, I have Saturn opposite Venus. So I think every time that I think about the lovers or like love, it's like, and discipline and work. Mm -hmm. Like I bring in the Saturn energy very strongly. So mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit of my, my flavor. Yeah. I, you know, there's a song that just came to mind too. I'll send it to you. It's called work. Uh, but it's about relate, uh, making relationships work. It takes hard work. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's real. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think when I think of the Empress too, we see the Empress like in this beautiful garden and kind of, you know, lounging on a chair, but I'm like, the Empress worked for that garden, y'all. Like it didn't mm -hmm. just happen by itself. Yeah. Yeah. She planted those seeds. Mm -hmm. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cool. This is so great. Thank you for sharing this with us. Yeah, it's it's always fun to go into that. Um, I always think of the looking at a chart like that. It's we're having a, a wheel of fortune moment. I always think of the wheel of fortune as a birth chart in the sky. So um, that's been my relationship to that card is kind of peering into the wheel at all the symbols. And uh, it's kind of like a cauldron of magic. And then we can communicate it and share it with each other. And so um, Jupiter is connected to the Wheel of Fortune, which is, again, Jupiter is very present for us right now. So yeah, yeah. thanks for, for going that. into the, the wheel, riding the wheel. Anytime. So fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I, I have another question for you as we close, um, because I think it's a question I've asked a lot of people, but, and I really love hearing everyone's responses, which is, you know, how do you see magic operating in the modern world like what what is magic's place in the modern world mm. well it's everywhere always and so it's really about our perception and our belief in magic but i mean just the fact that we're sitting here right now having this conversation through technology this is magic and working itself through uh, and when i really allow myself to stop and really think about what is taking place right now. It feels, we're in the future right now. This, I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to connect in this way when we aren't even in person together, but that 
we're now whatever we're talking about is then rippling out to the collective so i magic is is communicating your truth out into the world and and sharing what you know to be true and and kind of witnessing it unfold and 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 so it's i have no idea who's going to be listening to this conversation but it's sort of like dropping a pebble into water and the ripple goes out and so um it's my hopes that whatever we've talked about the magic that we've conjured up together will inspire others to then have magic in their life and to share that with people and it just keeps growing so um, it's using the tools that we have and in this case we're talking about technology to spread love and healing and that's for me what magic is one of the things i mean it's so many different things but that's in this moment how i'm sensing it that's so beautiful yeah. i really appreciate that i kind of want to like leave that for our our listeners because it feels very uh prophetic in a way yes so thank you so much for being with us and oh and i would love it if you could share how people could connect with you or work with you in the future yeah. anything you have coming up the best way to connect with me is go to my website, probably cosmiccousins.com, sign up for my newsletter. I release a newsletter on each new and full moon, and I'll have information in those newsletters of ways that you can work with me. But I have been stepping back from social media platforms at this time, and so newsletter is the best way to stay in touch. And I will have some new offerings coming up. I think I'm doing like a summer school for astrology this year, and also, um, the Brooklyn Fool's Tarot journey is a six month journey through the major arcane of the tarot. I think I'll be hosting it again this year from the summer solstice to the winter solstice. So that's kind of coming up. So if you are looking to incorporate more ritual into your life with the tarot, it would be an honor to connect with you in that way. And um, yeah, I think that that's good for now. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here.